0: The slash Filmcast, the official podcast for slash film.com. I'm Jeff Kanata, and with me are Devendra Hardwar and Christy Puchko. And we are without David Chen this episode. He is on his honeymoon.
1: Man, which I, I guess he deserves.
0: Yeah, yeah totally I, deserves. I <laughs> We've seen many Instagram posts. Dave. Dave vacations, but he's still on those socials. You know, <laughs> he's live blogging. He's uh, he's yeah. giving us updates of every meal that they ha- they
1: have. It doesn't happen if you don't social it. I mean, that's <laughs> that's where we are now. Yeah. Uh,
0: in fact, I even got a <laughs> phone call today from I think from France. From Dave, like, hey, you got every- is everything going to be okay tonight? Get you are you worried Aww. about it? Yeah, I'm like Dave, relax. You're on vacation. Enjoy your vacation. He's like, well, I'm I'm preparing for my return. I was like. That's the best way to spend a vacation is preparing to be not on vacation. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we have uh, a fun show. We're going to be reviewing A Quiet Place, uh, which should be a, a very interesting movie to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about what we've been watching and do some, some film news as well. But I wanted to start things off this episode by talking a little bit about – uh, last episode where we talked about Ready Player One, and we got uh, a fair amount of feedback about that movie, and uh, quite a few people were disappointed that we, there was no, none of us, none of the four of us on the episode that week uh, really came away very positively about the movie, but I, I do think maybe Devendra and I liked it a little bit more yeah. than certainly Dave and Christy did. We um, used to
1: mean that's fun fair. a lot. Yes, yeah. yes.
0: So I, I, I'm sad if people came away from that saying that none of us liked it at all and we were all brutal on it. I think we all had really strong criticisms, some more than others. I know Christy had stronger criticisms. Dave, Dave straight up said it was a terrible movie or something along those <laughs> lines. Um, but you know, there was some positive things. I think uh, DaVinci and I both had fun with it. Um, but we got this email that I think uh, is something we should we should discuss. This comes from Mike. Um, he sent this to slash filmcast at gmail.com. He says, uh, Dear David, Jeff, Davindra, and Christy, I'm a longtime fan of the show, and I felt compelled to write this uh, uh, right in this time because this review hit me like a bucket of ice water to the face. Just for some background, I'm a college professor, and I teach classes on cinema and communications. Every semester, I teach at least one class on GamerGate, and all of the horrible things that occurred as a result. Bravo, I was very, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that that's actually being discussed. I was very excited to see this film as Steven Spielberg is my favorite filmmaker, and I'm always eager to see his next film. I saw Ready Player One twice opening weekend and had a ton of fun. Frankly, I had more fun watching the film than I've had at the theater in a long time. I was excited, filled with energy, and just felt that pure joy of remembering why I go to the movies and why I want to make films. But that said... I listened to your review, and it hit me like a punch to the gut. I knew the film was not perfect by any means, and I really didn't expect some people to like it because of the larger issues of misogyny and gamer culture or the various ways it could be nitpicked. That said, I was really surprised at how overall disparaging your review made me feel. Well, honestly, it made me feel like an idiot. How could I see this film and not feel the same way you guys did or see the issues, both stylistic and cultural, that you saw? It also made me wonder, am I being a bad person or am I being irresponsible for liking this movie? I am vehemently against the culture that encouraged Gamergate or any which attack and silence women for speaking out. Am I failing to help women by liking this film? I would like to hear your thoughts, love the show, and all the hard work you guys do. Thank you for the thoughtful email, Mike. Christy, I know you were very outspoken about those issues in particular with regard to Ready Player One, so what is your response to this email.
2: Well, it's interesting because we got a lot of feedback about the episode. Some people agreeing with us, some people who are very upset about what we said. And in the second category, I do think a lot of people who are upset about what we said are kind of scratching at something Mike addresses here. Mm -hmm. I think that... When film critics, especially critics in this case that people might respect, so like our fans, your fans, and hopefully mine, when we say that something is bad or negative in a way of like what it's putting out with its message, I think it, it makes sense that there are people who feel like we're criticizing them too. I don't think that liking a problematic movie makes you a bad person. I think we all like movies that are problematic. I know for me, I really love horror movies. And that means loving some movies that I know are like, uh-huh. putting out really bad messages. It's just a question of kind of, we we all look at a movie from a different perspective. Inherently, we are bringing our experiences to it, this shapes our perspective and how we perceive the film. I thought it was really interesting that Mike is versed on Gamergate and all of that and didn't see that in the movie uh, on his own but I think that's the value of film criticism he got to enjoy the movie but then also could see our perspective on it I do that with with the reviews I read like I remember last year I really loved The Beguiled, um, Sophia Coppola's movie and I thought oh my god this just speaks so much about being a woman and like sisterhood and the complexities within and then I read some pieces by women of color and they were like yeah no it talks about white sisterhood and uh-huh. purposely ignores the black female perspective in a Civil War movie And I was like, oh, yeah. And it didn't make me dislike the movie, but it made me realize the limitations and the flaws within the movie that I hadn't seen because of my perspective. And personally, I feel like that's what film criticism is about. It's not about me trying to convince you that I'm right with my opinion. It's more about me sharing my opinion and giving ample support so that you can understand where I'm coming from.
0: I think that is so well said, Mm -hmm. and I appreciate you saying it like that. And I think that oftentimes – for whatever reason, you know, nuance is is gone on the internet, and people think arguments are about uh, having this objective truth that is unassailable. And I think with all art, the whole point of our discussions, and sometimes we get in vehement arguments against one another, and mm-hmm. we get we sometimes we passionately agree about stuff. Uh, in this case, I think um, maybe we all were more in agreement than we were in disagreement. In either case, just as you said, it is about the discussion. It's about what this piece of art brings up and all of these points and all of these cultural reflections that happen inside art are there to be pointed out. They're there to be acknowledged. They're there to learn from, they're there to react to, and maybe cause us to, you know, not like a piece of art or like it more. In in all these different scenarios, and I think that's what's so wonderful about shows like this and discussions of art in general is that conversation is important. And I agree that I, I don't think we're condemning anybody for liking things. Right, I still right. I still love the stand-up comedy of of Bill Cosby, you know, like despite myself, right? I still love it. I can't listen to it anymore. I have it's problematic, right? <laughs> but Woody Allen movies that I love that mm-hmm. they are All of these things, it's a complex series of things, but having the conversation, pointing out things, saying, hey, look, I noticed something that is valid here. Uh, I noticed themes and cultural relevances that I'd like to bring up. All of that is the point, and it's not about – trying to convince someone that they're bad or that they are they shouldn't like something that they like. And I think that – Or um,
2: even that there's a right or wrong way to address a movie. Right. Like that's – I mean to me that was also part of what Ready Player One drove me crazy about was that I feel like – and I know that this is part of the book but that I felt like the quest that Wade has is suggests that there's like one way to properly appreciate – This thing, And I don't think that that's true. I think that's why it's super important that there is diversity in film criticism and people coming from every kind of background, whether that means a background of heritage or gender, or it means, you know, people who studied film versus people who came to it kind of later. Like, I like reading different perspectives, because it's exciting to see all the different ways the same movie communicates to people differently. Mm -hmm.
1: Most definitely. And I do want to say... You know what I love about our discussions is that we can look at things from all these perspectives. But I also want to make sure, like, I never want to feel like even if I'm like saying how dumb or stupid or terrible a movie is, that's not how I feel about people who like it. I'm talking right. about the thing, you know, the the piece of art in question, and we're kind of, you know, criticizing it and talking about it in that vacuum. Definitely, if it if it feels like we're making you guys feel dumb, I don't I don't want that. You know, maybe we're going too far mm-hmm. in that respect. Uh, but yeah, Ready Player One. I was surprised because I like that movie uh, more than I disliked it. And that was definitely there in the review, but um, we definitely got a lot of emails that so were just like, "Why do you guys hate it so much?" Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, And I think it's easy to you know pull things apart, and and as that snowball starts happening inside an episode, it's more and more fun to you know find plot holes right, or, right. or th- things that don't make sense. But uh, maybe we could do a bit bit better of you know proclaiming our our enjoyment of certain things, and, and that is all interesting, good feedback. But I think what what we said here is important, especially. Especially in the context of how we feel culturally, what what movies mean and what they say. I think that is a very important conversation to have and clearly all of us on the show are united in in a feeling that in general diversity is a good thing and to be applauded and to be encouraged in the industry, especially at this time in our cultural history. Uh, and I think that we we talk about that a lot and at length uh, in all of our reviews. I don't think that's a, a bad thing to point out when it's missing or celebrate it when it's there. And that conversation always exists alongside a parallel one, which is the quality and enjoyment of the material at hand, right? It's not liking or not liking of something. I think all of those conversations are worthwhile and they all inform how art lands on us. And I've said for a long time across all the shows that I do, that my job is not to express an objective opinion. It's to express as acutely subjective an opinion as I can possibly express. It is how this piece of art landed on me. And if I can give you enough information about how it landed on me, I think that will probably inform how it may land on you.
2: Right. Like, I'd like to explain, um, I sometimes have the, uh, the honor of being able to teach film criticism to high school kids. And when I explain it to them, a lot of them come in thinking that criticism is something that you're, you're trying to kind of lock into. And I said, you know, it's, it, film criticism isn't a science, it's an art. You're not going to come up with the same answers as everybody else. You just need to show your work. There's not a right or wrong answer. And I hope that our discussions spark conversation and rather than making people, like, shut down one way or the other. And I know I was very vociferous in the episode, so it's possible that (laughs) some of that got drowned out. But that's a good thing. I
0: mean, we should be vociferous. It's not – there's – this oh, I'm a not call.
2: apologizing for that. No. <laughs> no, I know, but
0: I'm, I'm, I'm. I think I'm just uh, underscoring your, your point here that in passion and in mm-hmm. debate and in conversation, all of that, I think it's to be encouraged. And yeah, I'm gonna stand up for what I believe in too. And I think that's, that's what's fun about all this stuff. I'm really glad to have this conversation, and I think uh, it's a privilege to be able to talk to you guys who are so smart about movies and, and be, and be part of this. And I, I hope the audience. Feels included. And in it, you know, getting an email like this, it's a little bit like, oh, no, dude, that's not what we intend.
2: I thought it was great because a lot of people contacted us that so they were upset about the episode, but Mike did it in a way that I felt like we had something to respond to instead right. of just like, sorry, you were upset you didn't like our opinions. Um, yeah. So I want to thank Mike because I thought that was a really good point. Um, and I think it was touching on something that a lot of the reactions we got weren't quite voicing in that way. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't want to spin us on a complete different tangent, but I will just say that. Well, everything you've just said, uh, Christy, uh, just just right before that last thing, is why I I so hate Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> because I think it, its whole job is to create like this forced consensus about what a thing is, you know, mm-hmm. and you just strip away any any nuance or subjective idea from any you know any particular reviewers. It's just like here's a number or uh, whatever, you know what I mean? It's and it's uh,
2: a vexing uh, binary of fresh or rotten, yeah,
0: yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Mike, for sending that in. And we encourage your feedback. Uh, Even when we don't read the emails on the show, we always read your feedback and we do appreciate it. We even have uh, a slash film Slack that you can be a part of. Although as I bring it up, I realize (laughs) I don't know how to tell people to be a part of that. But uh, we do have one, so I'm sure there's a way.
1: (laughs) You can go to uh, slackfilmcast.com to sign up for it. And I think from there, you'll get all the stuff. Oh, good. Yeah. Thank you, DaVinci. <laughs> let's uh,
0: let's get some of those opinions that we've been talking about so much, and uh, talk about what we've been watching this week. Christy, let's start with you. Uh, what what have you been watching?
2: Well, I wanted to talk about uh, since our review is centering on a South by Southwest film, I wanted to talk about another South by Southwest film that's also coming out in April: um, Ghost Stories. Is a British horror movie from Jerry Dyson and Andy Nyman. It is their directorial debut. They wrote and directed the movie together, and it's based on a a British play of the same name that they adapted. I saw it at South by Southwest and was completely blown away by it. It's a very smart kind of anthology where it begins with this skeptic professor who's kind of like a ghostbuster. The movie starts with him like proving that like a, a medium is, you know, bunk. And then it's like confronts him with three cases that his mentor couldn't explain. And it follows down this path and tells these different stories. And it's really elegantly done and manages to weave together different forms, uh, little different subgenres of horror in a way that I thought was really compelling and in a way that, once it was over, I wanted to immediately watch again to to pick up on things I hadn't caught the first time. Mm. Um, so that's coming out on April 20th. I think it's IFC Midnight, if I remember correctly, that's releasing it. And uh, on a bit of personal exciting news, someone sent me the poster, which I did not know I'm I'm quoted on. <laughs> oh so, cool. Congrats. Yeah, it's rad. Um, so, yeah, check out uh, Ghost Stories. It has Martin Freeman, but aside from that, I don't necessarily know that you would recognize the people in it. But it's a really fun and uh, adventurous horror movie that will be coming out in on April 20th.
0: I can't wait to see the poster that says, it's a really fun and adventurous horror movie that's coming out on April 20th. It's actually, <laughs>
2: like, a really long quote, and I'm not going to be the person who's like, let me read to you the poll quote. <laughs> Did they dot, dot, dot you? Um, no, it was just, oh, like, good. they they plucked it pretty much right from the end of my review, which was exciting because, you know, a lot of times if you get poll quoted, it's just, like, riveting. You're like, cool. <laughs> I think my first one ever was, like, hilarious. it was my first one so I was still very excited but yeah I highly recommend it you can read my full review on Pajiba Um, I'll retweet that uh, review for your convenience and it's then uh, ghost stories. It's called ghost stories. It's it's interesting. I also did an interview with the directors that I'll share, but it's interesting because like this story has been around because they've been doing the play, and um, people have been very conscientious about not releasing spoilers in their reviews. So I also attempt to avoid that. And I would say just go see it. Um, <laughs> like I don't want to say anything else to kind of hint why you you shouldn't look for spoilers. Just don't look for mm. spoilers. Just go see it. Just for my downtime, I've been revisiting Gravity Falls. Which I'm obsessed with Gravity Falls. I think I've, I think this is my third time watching through it. Have you guys ever watched the show? Oh
1: yeah, no. it's a great show. I have not.
2: Jeff, you need to get into it because your kids are going to be super it's into right it. It's right up your alley. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a cartoon show by Alex Hirsch, and it was on Disney, I think XD. Because there was like a reason I didn't watch it until it finally hit Hulu. And now the whole thing is on Hulu and it's really easy to tear through because it's about these adventures of these two twins, uh, Dipper and Marble or Mabel. They go to visit their great uncle in the Pacific Northwest and they like run into mythical beasts and have adventures and they time travel. It starts off as just being a bunch of fun little episodes and then it starts spinning into this overarching narrative that's actually incredibly complex and cool. And the more you watch it, the more you realize there's actually all these allusions to like other pop culture in. It, including like Rick and Morty and yeah it's it's really fun and very smart. Started off as something I just had on kind of in the background while I was doing stuff, and then started being like, "Oh, this is really good." And yeah. then it just became the thing I was watching like dedicatedly. But there, it's there's just a very lot of
1: uh, eerie Indiana in there, if you remember that yeah. show, and a lot of things <laughs> like just very the fun kids shows, uh, Pete and Pete a bit too. Yeah. So Gravity yeah.
0: Falls, and it's uh, you said it's available on Hulu now.
2: It's all it's all on Hulu, and it's uh, it's just it's two seasons. It's really easy to tear through, and it's really delightful and fun, and like the voice cast includes Jason Ritter and Kristen Schaal so there are people that you love an example episode is like M- Mabel's always falling in love with boys she's very easily like boy crazy and she meets this weird guy that that like Dipper doesn't trust and think is like I think he thinks he's a zombie and it turns out that he's actually made up of a bunch of little gnomes sure <laughs> in like a big jacket
1: yeah
2: and they did that joke like, before
1: Bojack yeah
2: Yeah, and it's, like, literally, like, that's how the series starts. So it's, like, it's really funny and playful, and it plays with these, like, creatures that you know from myth and legend in a very fun, uh, spirited way. And it's just, like, a really nice thing to watch at the end of the day where you're kind of, like, you want something joyful and silly. And it's, like, I also love Bob's Burgers, and it's kind of got that vibe of, like, where it's about this weird family that has their weird little adventures, but it's more sci-fi than Bob. Mm
1: Mm-hmm
0: definitely gotta check that out uh, very very cool uh Devendra, what are, what about you what's on what have you been watching a
2: bunch of
1: things uh, I just want to throw a shout out to counterparts uh, which just aired it's season one finale this is the stars uh spy slash sci-fi show with uh, J k Simmons and dual roles uh, I have not you know shut up about the show because I'm in love with it I think it's really well done and uh, just want to say if like you were waiting to check it out because uh maybe the season just didn't end that well or something. I just want to say, like you know, it was uh, the ride was really worth it. I'm really glad uh, where they kind of uh, you know left things, and there's another season coming, so I don't really mind that the full mystery of the show has not been solved.
0: It needs to come to like Amazon Prime streaming or something. Like, the fact that it's right. on Stars is, is literally <laughs> the only reason I haven't watched. It. I
1: mean that right now. So the thing now is that you can do the Stars like uh, preview on Amazon Prime and pay like eight mm-hmm. bucks or five bucks or something. And you'll, you could just binge it over a weekend. It is so good. It's a great spy thriller with a wonderful little sci-fi twist. And it gets the characters so well. Between J.K. Simmons, but also Olivia Williams is in this. A um, whole bunch of folks... I always love uh, what's it? What's his name from The West Wing? Toby, Toby from The West Wing, that actor. Oh yeah, yeah. He's in yeah. it. Like it's just a great, wonderful cast, and I think a really well done spy story, and just the sort of thing I love.
0: Counterpart on stars. What else have you been watching?
1: Uh, also, moving over to another uh, spy story, actually, is Killing Eve, and this is a new show on BBC America. Just want to say, like, this show kicks ass. Like, this is exactly what I needed now that Counterpart is gone. Uh, this is a spy show starring Sandra Oh as an MI5, uh, kind of a lowly MI5 uh, assistant of some sort, who is ends up being on the trail of this uh, notorious uh, serial killer uh, played by uh, Jody Comer. It's a weird show. The pilot was written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who did uh Flea Oh, Bag. wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's like, it has that kind of a weird vibe. Like it's, uh, it's funny. It's uh quirky, but it's also really like, it kind of hints at some more interesting character details. So I just think it's really cool seeing a, you know, a spy show coming from her. And I was just such a big fan of Fleabag and, you know, th- there's just like a lot going on in the show. I think it's kind of building up this relationship between the agent and, uh, the spy. And they're, they're sort of both obsessed with the murder and the spy, I think, is also a bit of a sociopath. So she's like a female Dexter in a way. So that's huh. just kind of fascinating to watch. A uh, really good-looking show, really funny. Uh, definitely worth checking out. It's Killing Eve on BBC America.
0: I guess you would call a female Dexter a Dext
1: her. Oh, wow! Yes, <laughs> I think that uh, works. How are you watching how are you
0: watching Killing Eve?
1: Uh I that's just through Sling TV right now. So I have BBC America there and you know okay. if you have it if you have cable or on demand or however else you can access BBC America uh you can you can get hold of this show.
0: Very cool. I noticed that on your list here is also Raw, yes. which I'm assuming is because it was WrestleMania weekend and you wanted to watch the new episode of Raw because after WrestleMania it's always a big episode of Raw and you're you're so excited to see how the new it
1: all, it all falls out, you yeah, know, with uh, totally Lesnar
0: retaining the title and everything. You were super excited. I, I feel my... like
1: Jeff, you you probably want to talk about WrestleMania at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw bit. you tweeting up a storm about this, but no, I'm talking about the uh, the Julia DeCurno – uh horror film i i know this uh, this film came out when two years ago 2016 i just got around to watching it i just want to say this movie is a freaking masterpiece right like, i love this movie uh for me i i think this is one of uh, i i guess i kind of weigh horror movies against each other and the descent is one of my favorite and i, I think this is like right up there this is like descent oh, level wow. great horror and uh, yeah, if you don't know, because it's been on Netflix forever, but it's about a young vegetarian girl who goes to veterinarian school and uh, uh, she, she's, she's not a vegetarian for much longer. And, uh, <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's a, it's a crazy film. It goes places you wouldn't expect. Uh, it's gory as all hell. It's really messed up. But I think there's a real uh, center on her character. And also of sisterhood, because a lot of the movie is about her relationship with her sister and uh, kind of how they can bond together. So I found that all just super compelling and just so stylish, so well done. And, uh, you know, this uh, this actress, uh, Garance Mariellier, I believe. And, uh, you know, she is just, she's just amazing. So love everything about this movie. Um trying to get everybody to watch it, but it's a tough movie to recommend because, like, you just have to... Uh, be like yeah don't don't eat anything while you're watching yeah. this movie just go <laughs> Ever in again. Or before or uh, yeah. after <laughs> go in on an empty stomach and be prepared for an experience
2: <laughs> yeah i remember seeing that it, uh when it came out and there was a section where i i was dry heaving and i <laughs> i am, tend to be have a pretty strong stomach yeah. when it attempts to like gross out stuff but there was
1: there's definitely one section of this movie where you're, where you're just like trying to hold in whatever whatever is in your stomach and your, mm-hmm. your throat well yep you guys just made it so i'm never gonna watch this movie it is it <laughs> is something <laughs>
0: Uh, it's not an experience I look forward to. Uh, anyway, that's called raw, raw, and uh, it'll, it'll. It'll put you through something. It'll gross you
2: out, and it's It'll on Netflix. It's on
0: Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'll mention a little bit. I, I did watch uh, WrestleMania this weekend. I'm a, I'm a bit of a closet wrestling fan. I, whenever you, I,
2: your Twitter was like full of tweets about wrestling. Well, I don't even know what wrestling is. Everyone went is wrestling crazy
1: like, last
0: night. Yeah, one day, one day a <laughs> year, I peek out from my closet and I say, "I'm here and I'm watching WrestleMania." It and was I your Friday? It's my pride day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought it was a pretty subpar WrestleMania overall. I always get lots of tweets on that day too because I'm, you know, I tweet about it and people are like, Did "You talk about it on that Slash FilmCast." I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, but nobody really wants to hear it, so I won't. I won't talk too long." Okay. But it, it was interesting that Was Ron, it a good Ronda, WrestleMania, Jeff. It was not. Okay. It was not. Okay. It, it had a, it had a couple of high points. Ronda Rousey, who I thought. I was very curious as to whether she would make the transition from USC uh-huh. to to uh, WWE. Hers was the best match in my opinion. I really thought uh, it was it had drama, it, it had a cool moments. Mm-hmm. The AJ Styles Nakamura match was a, a bit of a disappointment for oh. me. And there's a lot of the the main event was pretty bad and
1: I heard John overall, Cena not, not made a an show. appearance though, right? He did. He started out
0: as somebody in the crowd like just going to watch. Oh, yeah, and he had then, normal
1: guy John Cena. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and he was yeah, just walking It's like the Hulk in a,
1: in a auditorium scene, sure. Yeah, and then at a certain
0: point, a <laughs> ref comes running continuous. out. Yeah, they, they whisper something in his ear, and then he runs backstage, uh, and then he basically just did the job for, for The Undertaker. They, that's what they call like laying down. He basically just let The Undertaker squash him for about five minutes. Undertaker, very old. He supposedly retired, and then he came out of retirement to squash <laughs> which, John Cena. Uh,
1: which Undertaker is this? Because the mythology of all this is very confusing.
0: Yes. Yeah, so The Undertaker has had several personas. Uh, I, you're revealing how much I know about all this stuff. Okay. Uh, the, the American badass was his, like, biker persona. Everybody thought he was going to come back as that. He did not. He came back as old school Undertaker, Undertaker, like the... This, you know, uh, supernatural creature mm-hmm. from beyond the grave. So it was pretty pretty bad. It was uh, a lot of buildup for not much. But <laughs> anyway, uh, I thought last year's WrestleMania was far superior than this year's. But um, right. that's that. Okay. So speaking of John Cena. Yeah, there you go. That was the, the transition you wanted me to make like five minutes ago. <laughs> uh <laughs> I also saw Blockers this week, which I guess we're just supposed to call Blockers, even though it's clearly
1: blockers. Chicken chicken Blockers.
0: Oh, okay. Rooster Blockers,
1: blockers, yes.
0: And I know, Christy, you saw this as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I really liked it. I had so much Mm -hmm. fun with it. There's a lot of setups and comedic bits that really make no sense. Like, no one would actually do that. But, hey, it's this wacky, broad comedy And uh, I thought it actually had some really interesting things to say, you know, that like women are people, (laughs) you know, Um, hang
2: on, guys. It gets radical. Women are people. No, but I mean, I know what you mean, because I when I saw the trailers for it, I was like, oh, so it's about three parents who are basically trying to keep their teen girls from having sex on prom night. Gross. Like, I don't want to watch like girls be vilified for having a sex drive. But um, the film actually is really smartly done. It's uh, directed by Kay Cannon, who wrote for 30 Rock and wrote the Pitch Perfect movies. And it's done through this lens of, like, it totally recognizes that they're overreacting. And actually, and I won't get into why, but one of the parents' motives for why he doesn't want his daughter to have sex on prom night is, like, very specifically smart. Uh, Yeah, and he
0: starts off being the guy who's like, hey, we just need to not – Get in the way of this. Don't be stupid. And it's it's very it's very fun and subversive. Like the guy you would think in the traditional movie like this from the eighties, that would be the most be the
2: biggest screw up.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I yeah, I really I thought that was very smart.
2: Yeah, and I thought all the teens in it are amazing. Like, I like it, it's it's a movie that they keep promoting. Is like there's Ike Barinholtz and John Cena and Leslie Mann, and they're great. They're very funny. I especially think Leslie Mann has like a physical comedy section that I was in hysterics over. Yeah, that's but great. like the teen contingent in this is amazing. They're really funny and super charismatic. Like. The girl who plays John Cena's uh, daughter, there's one part where she comes down and greets him by giving him a chest bump. And yeah. it immediately makes him uncomfortable because <laughs> his little girl has grown boobs. And I was just like, I felt so connected immediately. I was like, this is so funny. And like, they're, it's just so good across the board. And um, I wrote a piece for Pajiba that I'll also tweet out about one of the uh, supporting players, Ramona Young, who's also in Santa Clarita Diet. Who I thought was so great in this. Like everybody in it's just fantastic. Mm. It's a really funny, very sweet, feel good movie that's also super raunchy.
0: Yeah, I agree with all that. I came out of it just feeling like I had a great time. I mean it's no it's no game night as far as I'm concerned. I still think game night is the best (laughs) comedy I've seen this year. But man, it, it actually is you know, has something to say and is really fun. We've established that I'm a wrestling fan, so I was just delighted to see John Cena. He, he was great.
2: He was great. <laughs> in shorts, also. Like, a man that big wearing, like, khaki shorts mm. for an entire movie, it feels like a joke in its own because you're just like, what is happening here?
0: Yeah. Yeah, the, the fact that they make him the biggest nerd is is pretty fun. and. I was like giving the movie so much credit all the way through of like, oh my god, we're gonna go through a whole movie and John Cena's not gonna take his shirt off. And then there's like a post credit scene where he takes his shirt off, and I (laughs) like he takes more than
2: his shirt off.
0: Yeah, well,
2: it is intense. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I highly, highly
0: recommend Blockers. Uh, I didn't think I was gonna love it, and I did. I really loved it. I also have seen uh, finished. My wife and I finished uh, Sneaky Pete season two you remember on the show a while back, I was singing the praises of Sneaky Pete season one. I'm here to tell you Sneaky Pete season two is equally as good. It really is. I, I, I can't decide if I like it more, but I certainly like it as much as the first season, which I really liked a lot. Giovanni Ribisi plays a character who is in prison because he is a con man. Uh, he gets out in the very first season. He gets out and assumes the identity of his old cellmate. Uh, because that that family hadn't seen that their son for many many years because he went to prison and he assumes that identity and insinuates himself in that family to try to con them and uh, it is the type of show that I really love which is watch characters get themselves in more and more dire straits and watch them squirm and try to think their way out of it you know it's Breaking Bad, it's The Sopranos, it's all those, like, you know, questionable morals, lead character getting themselves into deeper and deeper shit, and then trying to figure out a way out of it. And Pete does, I think, a particularly good job at this, because it constantly provides a way that the character thinks they're going to get out of it, and then makes a reason why that doesn't even work. And so there's this continual series of like, well, man, he came up with a really great plan. Oh wait, no, that's not going to work. Oh, okay. He came up with an even smarter plan. <laughs> nope. That didn't even work. Uh, and I love that. And, um, character actress, Margo Martindale is in it and she's wonderful to watch. It's a great cast season two, I think ups the ante and does some interesting, fun stuff with the characters. And, I love it. It's on Amazon Prime streaming. It's an Amazon Prime original series, and I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Love it.
1: Awesome. Very much. Yeah. Before we move on from TV or what we've been watching, uh, Chrissy, you brought up Santa Clarita Diet, and I just want to say I've powered through season two of that show. That show is amazing. I is love
0: it? it so really much. I, I couldn't get through season one. <laughs> I just thought it was too cheeseball. It's, it's
2: really uh, it is cheeseball. Did like, you like better? Is, uh, mm-hmm. bed, what a better off Ted.
1: I loved Better Off Ted. I loved Better Off Ted. I
2: mean, Better it's Off the Ted. same sense of humor. It's very, I don't understand.
1: Yeah. I, well, I think season two is a lot stronger than season one. Like season one, they were trying to like test the limits of this premise and like how gross can mm-hmm. we go. And I don't know if they really knew who these characters were. In season two, I think it kind of shapes into something that's uh, a little more cohesive and a lot tighter. And also just filled with a uh, silly Timothy Oliphant, which uh, we oh, just, we so just need so much more of that. Andrew Barrymore uh, just having so much fun as a crazy zombie mom. Uh you know, it's a it's a great story, it's a great show about relationships and also about family mm-hmm. and it just so many things well.
2: Yeah. And the way I, they expand the world in season 2, I thought was really like very shrewdly done uh-huh. and also really genuinely very funny and like it just like they keep <laughs> like, stacking things up. And I was like, okay, now what? Yeah. Like,
1: I, I think at some point they were making fun of, uh, like, people who get really into shows like Westworld, who, like, really get into the mythology yeah. of it, because, like, they kind of just dick around with that stuff. And it's hilarious. Oh, yeah.
0: I don't yeah. understand the comparison to Better Off Ted. Better Off Ted is like this corporate...
2: I mean, the setting is different, but mm-hmm. the sense of humor is very huh. similar where it plays on jokes it's already established. And there's this, like, it's mostly about the pattern between characters. And I think there's, like, I think it's in season one even, but there's, like, a conversation between Drew Barrymore and Timothy Oliphant where they're laying in bed and they're talking about juggling and she's like, why are you talking about juggling so much? And he's like, I watched this great documentary about a juggler recently. And he starts telling her about this documentary and he goes, but I don't want to give you the twist because I want you to watch it. She goes, I'm not going to watch it. Just give me the twist. And he goes, okay. The big twist is that he was juggling families too. He had like five (laughs) families that didn't know each other. And she goes, Oh, I would have enjoyed that. He goes, well, you can still watch it. And she goes, I won't though. And it's just like the exchange of that. The pad are so good. Their chemistry is so good. And it also feels so much, I'll be honest, like my marriage, like the way they talk to each other, it's so specific. And it's like, they like to like tease each other in a way that feels so intimate and so kind of dorky. That it's, like, it's just really very smart and funny and, like... But, yeah, I think the humor, uh, especially in Season 2, just goes to such a bizarre place. And Ramona Young gets a bigger part in Season 2. In Season 1, she's Ramona, the the cashier at the CBS that they keep going to. And they're like, I just don't know. And they just... They all, like, basically (laughs) dump out their existential dread on her. And she's just not into it and always responds very tersely. But in Season 2, yeah, there's, like, a big event and there, it's really more, great yeah and also yeah. natalie
1: morales who's you know i love her in what parks and rec
2: parks and Rex is yeah fine. I and, her, but
1: yeah. I, middleman like so many shows like i'd follow any show she's in and uh she plays a big role in season two as well and yeah she's really stuff. terrific and nathan phillian well there's yeah Ooh, good stuff there's yeah. no bigger
0: there's no bigger Olaf fan than me i'm oh I'm Jeb, a huge, yeah yeah i love him and that's what made me so sad that i didn't like this show because I was like, he's just wasting the the dream boat that is Timothy I, 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 um, I
1: disagree.
0: The show, yeah. He is so
2: weirdly hot as a dorky dad. Like I yeah. didn't think this was my type. I like I love him as Deadwood. It's my jam. But like there's Justified, like, in season, man. Season two, mm-hmm. I I admittedly didn't get as into justify, which I don't have good uh, reasons. But love. in season two of Santa Clarita Diet, there's a scene where he like salsa dances. I was dying. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like and it's not good. It is like the most dad dancing it's cartoonish ever. It's
1: sol- the dancing but somehow solves oh. the plot it's it's so great
2: it fits so precisely it's just it's beautiful. I've always said a that super if super it, you know jigsaw puzzle. I
1: love
0: my I love my wife I'm a straight cis male but <laughs> <laughs> if I had to, it would be Olaf. It would be
1: Olaf all the way. Yeah.
2: Nobody's that straight. No man is that straight. Right. They would That's... not with Timothy Olaf. He's Ol also he just That's has true. so
1: much fun in the show. Like you can see it. Uh, there was there like the Joel McHale Netflix thing. He and Drew Barrymore were on there, and he was like making making jokes about uh, Deadwood and Justify to like help promote the show. It was just hilarious. He's such a such a blast. Yeah.
2: And also Joel McHale is in season two. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Somehow. <laughs> I will get on the Better Off Ted bandwagon, though, if, if there's anybody listening that has not yeah. tried to see Better Off Ted. I don't know how you see it nowadays, but yeah. it is Maybe so it's good.
2: It's Netflix.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, let's move on to a little bit of film news. This is some weird film news. Uh, it was reported on SlashFilm.com. That Westworld, which is coming back for its second season, what, this week? This week? Is it this week or next week?
2: No, isn't it? I think it's the end of the month. Am I wrong? Mm
0: -hmm. Is it? Anyway, very soon. Very soon, Westworld returns to HBO. Uh, We are big fans. Uh, Dave, in fact, does a weekly show about Westworld. And he...
2: Our farm is a dairy farm. We only use organic feed. The cows produce you know, quality organic meal.
1: Yeah, all our hens are RSPCA-assured, free to roam in and out of the sheds throughout the day. They lay a lovely york.
0: The key to our beef cattle is looking after their, their welfare, keeping them happy. At McDonald's, we're proud to source quality ingredients from over 23,000 farmers from across
1: the UK and Ireland. Good to know.
0: <laughs> is kind of the target of this news. It... it <laughs> Evidently,
2: in an effort, this is actually why he called you today.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would love to have his opinion on this. By the way, he and uh, Joanna Robinson, Westworld showrunners uh, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, said that in an effort to prevent spoilers for season two, they might actually spoil all of season two. So, fight fire with fire, I guess. The idea here hmm. is is that they would go to superfans like. Dave and Joanna or people that spend all their time speculating on what's going to happen throughout the season and just sort of short circuit that speculation process by telling them everything that happens right up front.
2: With a video, right? That's the thing.
0: With a video, I guess, which is the stupidest thing ever, because there's no way that video isn't going to be everywhere on the internet, right?
2: Also, it's even if the video isn't everywhere, people like us are going to be asked to cover it for work, and so it will be like it'll, it's its description will be everywhere. I don't understand this. Like, I, I read the news mm-hmm. on three different sites trying to understand the logic behind this, and I don't get it. Well, so I'd very this, much like to hear where make sense to you think. If this came
0: out know. a week ago on <laughs> uh, April 1st, I would have I would have understood. <laughs> but this, yeah, this doesn't make any sense to me either it seems like a
1: dumb idea Well, to me this is i think this strikes to the heart of like what annoyed me about westworld season one is that this show fundamentally doesn't understand its mystery or is all about trying to build up the mystery and maybe they were uncomfortable with that it basically felt like hbo or they were trying to like live up to the uh you know the fandom and the uh the devotion that people have for game of thrones so it's hilarious that they're doing this to kind of promote that same sort of level where, oh, yeah, some people are really into this and know the entire mythology. And uh, they're they're somehow going to prevent everybody else from, you know, going down the wrong right. path. I don't, It's very well, the, confusing. Yeah.
0: The thing that is so stupid about this is that do they just not understand what's fun about these shows? <laughs> like the speculation <laughs> is fun. And if I, you happen to mm-hmm. hit on what is correct, it's not a spoiler because you figured it out. It's – It feels awesome that you figured it out.
2: It also feels like it's them trying to kind of prevent the negativity that season one was faced with when people realized they were wrong because there was like a like because I didn't watch it until recently which we talked about on the show but part of it was because when people started watching it they were constantly complaining about it because they were like well I thought I knew what was going on but now I don't know what's going on anymore (laughs) and it was like every Westworld fan I talked to while the show was airing was like begrudgingly watching the show because they liked it but it wasn't what they thought it was and so they were getting frustrated and and I by the like... way
1: that was because of how they told the story too like it mm. was so much of a reliance yeah. on the mystery box and you yes know, right which is a, that's what
2: you're making which is a
1: good you're thing the show yeah for me the characters and everything like didn't live up to that like it didn't it didn't connect all the way through
2: i think it's them trying to to kind of stave off criticism mm. in that way but, yeah, it's like – it. I, from what I read, it seems like their idea is that they'll release a video on Reddit. Sure. And I assumed it would only be briefly allowed on Reddit, Reddit but it's the internet. Nothing is gone on the internet. So if they this put it a, there, someone's going to capture it somehow. And, like, such I just – dumb
0: idea. It's such a dumb idea. <laughs> like, what you want to be making, evidently, people, showrunners, is a Netflix show where all the episodes come out at the same time. But what you are making – and you should understand this uh-huh. because you're making it is a show that comes out week to week and HBO likes the fact that it gets people thinking and excited and, and tuning yeah. in on the night that it in the plays. And yeah. You are making a show where the mystery is the hook and what is going on is the question. I think like, what, what part of what they're making do they not understand? <laughs> it's
2: oh, also weird because you figure that, like, so much of, like, the writing about Westworld is recaps. If they release everything in advance, then I guarantee you a bunch of sites are just not going to bother with recaps because it's out there. Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, just, who needs
2: the watch? analysis?
1: It's just, I don't want to spend on. too much time, like, talking about this because they, nothing could happen from this. Like, they could just be pulling around our legs a little. But, you know, it feels like they're kotoing to the worst part of fan culture right now. Like, the people who get annoyed... When their theory is wrong, like we saw that with mm-hmm. the Last Jedi too, and I just, you know, tell a story, tell a story, and you know, stick right. with it. That's that's kind of how this yeah. works. Yeah.
2: I also just suspect that this is all a feint anyway, and it's effectively going to be like they'll release a video, uh-huh. but it's going to be a misdirect.
0: Now that that could be fun if this was all part of some meta uh, commentary. Yeah, on I don't. I, know. I I would hate that. Just even give me more. your show. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't just like, you just write
2: a good show That's for real. Yeah. Like <laughs> just give me <laughs> the show. Wrong. Make it good. That's all. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't like this idea of uh-huh. like pandering to fans of the video or playing with fans of the video. It just makes me uncomfortable. I hope I'm wrong.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully they see the error of their. Ways and this was just a you know, just kind of putting a floater out there to so say, like, oh.
2: we were hacked during that AMA, we never said
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was an ask me almost anything. Don't ask me that. I want to thank the donors to our show. Uh, you can donate to us to our ability to watch movies and bring you this show, all of the costs, uh, you know, that we incur. And it is very much appreciated any donation. You can do that at PayPal.me/slash filmcast. Uh, We got some new donors this week, Sean from Perth, Australia. Uh, He writes, hey, guys, been a fan since 2012 and have been meaning to donate for ages. It was your Ready Player One episode that made me finally do it. I hate that book. I hated the film. It was so fun to listen to you all take it down. (laughs) Hi, Sean. (laughs) I guess that directly contradicts our first segment of the show. But we appreciate it, Sean. And you know what? Sean gave us money, so uh, I I take his opinion over everybody (laughs) (laughs) else's. Uh, we also got some new subscribers that this week, uh, Stephanie N. and Derek B. Thank you so much for subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. We appreciate it very, very much. All of that really does help. So uh, thank you, guys. All right. It is time now to get to our featured review of A Quiet Place. That was from the trailer for A Quiet Place, which is from director John Krasinski, who you obviously know from his years in The Office. That,
1: that's really uh, not, weird to say. Director John Krasinski. Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, it's you know, he, his third
0: movie. Yeah. yeah. It is his third movie. He, his first was an adaptation of one of my favorite books, which is called uh, Brief Interviews with Hideous Men uh, by David Foster Wallace. I love that book. And I was so... I never... I never Thought that you could make a movie out of uh-huh. it, and uh, he kind of proved that that's true. <laughs> yeah,
2: I say, it's not. A <laughs> but, good, it's a movie that feels like someone recorded a play. Yeah, like, which, it is, doesn't which I love. Typically, but, um, very cinematic.
0: This very different, right? It Actually, couldn't be more different than recording a
1: play. I would love to see uh, the play of A Quiet Place. Honestly, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like, that could be amazing. That could be like it interactive be. theater
1: experience, and the monsters are like just all around you, guys. Audience, don't make any noises. Yeah.
2: He went from like that movie, mm-hmm. which is like not very ambitious uh hideous interviews would be like it's you know it's a lot of like people sitting in one place and whatever and then you did the hollers which was like a more kind of it kind of felt like a standard sundance movie where it was like about like a big city guy who goes to his hometown and deals with family issues and like it was fine but it wasn't amazing and then like a quiet place it was the opening night film in south by southwest mm-hmm. so like i got to see it with like the first audience right and like everybody there is super excited to be there And doesn't really know what to expect because we've seen the trailer, but, like, no one has seen this movie yet. And, like, man, it's, like, that's why I love going to South by Man. You get some (laughs) of these experiences you just can't compare. It was so, so scary and so upsetting. And anytime anybody made a sound, (laughs) it made – it put everybody on edge. And I'm a screamer at movies, so, like, I would scream and then throw my hands over my mouth, like – terrified further because in most horror movies it feels like a release to scream and in this it felt like sound is weaponized against you even when it's like your own Mm -hmm. scream
0: yeah it's a very interesting experience to watch this movie in a theater with other humans you know In, in in an era where we watch a lot of things in the comfort of our own homes this almost is sort of this parallel meta commentary on the experience of sitting in a place with strangers in the dark Uh, because it's called A Quiet Place. A lot of the movie is very quiet and seeing it, with other human beings is this weird pact that you enter into, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think it could be a big variable in whether you like the experience or not based on the people, the human beings that are there
1: with you. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, What what were your thoughts on, on the quiet place?
1: I didn't honestly expect much from some of these early trailers and yeah, I didn't have much faith in John Krasinski as an effective horror director. Uh, but, yeah, you know, after hearing about uh, the South by reactions and basically after hearing that, like how it it just freaked everybody out and everybody tended or seemed to love it, uh, I, I was really into it. And I think overall it's an effective, you know, solid horror movie. Uh, I think my favorite horror movies are ones that really uh, present a premise like, you know, how do the monsters work? How does the world work? And uh, really just kind of uh, milks that for all it's worth when it comes to tension I think this movie just does that completely well too. And it's a great uh post-apocalyptic story. It doesn't tell us too much about what happened, but you know enough. And as it's a story about survival, it's a story about family and hope and yada yada yada. A lot of stuff we've seen before. But I think it's done so well and just has a great strong cast and the conceit of having so much of this happen. Uh, in silence and in people trying to be very quiet, I think it all works really well. Incredible sound design too, and some of my favorite—definitely uh, one of my favorite—in uh, theater experiences this year.
2: The little girl in this, mm-hmm. uh, Millicent Simmons, is the she's a hearing impaired actress who's also in Wonderstruck. Yes, and sometimes. The sound design will take on her point of view. And by that, I mean, they even cut ambient tone, which yeah. is like, uh, if anybody's ever made a movie, you know that you have to record room tone. And it's kind of just the sound of a room. Like basically, if you even just do it with your phone, if you record the room and play it back, you're going to hear like slight buzzes and things like that. And it's something that is in every scene in every movie you watch, unless it's chosen to be left out. And when they cut it out, it's to get across to the audience what this character's world is like for her, where the, you know we're talking about a movie in which, which, which these creatures hunt by sound but she's at a disadvantage because she cannot even hear things coming and it was such a useful tool that like whenever the sound would click out it was almost like the theme in jaws or something where like i would just start getting nervous immediately (laughs) because it was like you're robbed of that device to save yourself right you can't now you can't hear anything you can't hear them coming either Mm. And I thought that was such a brilliant use of the sound design. It's such a good sound design and also a big reason that I'm sure some people are like, oh, I don't like to watch scary things in theaters or I don't want to risk watching it with jerks or people. I totally get that. But if you unless you have an incredible sound system in your home, you're going to be missing out if you don't see this in theaters.
1: Yeah, and I, I think part of the experience is also just the reactions of everybody around you. I think some of my favorite horror movie experiences is like seeing The Ring, you know, with a, with a crowd of people and just mm-hmm. people getting freaked the hell out like towards the end of that movie. Uh, that is the fun of horror movies, and I think this, like as a horror movie ride, it's kind of just perfect. And also, when I say like Emily Blunt, great as always, Krasinski. I, I think he's kind of been positioning himself more and more of like as an action guy, like he Jack Ryan, yeah, Jack well, Ryan, also, like, and also that military. In thirteen
2: movie. hours, like he was legit, like right? an action hero dude. He did the low angle shot. Right, he right. looked amazing, shirtless. It was a whole thing.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know if I buy that yet, but I buy him I- in this movie as a father who, you know, is kind of a smart, pragmatic guy doing what he can to protect his family. Uh, So I think, you know... I thought it was weird mm -hmm. that he kept,
0: like, Riley looking right at the camera. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) He he gave himself a lot of hero shots. And, you know, I had (laughs) to take away... It took away a little from the film, but I think overall, like, Emily Blunt's performance. And uh, Millicent Simmons, who is so good in Mm Wonderstruck, too, like... Yeah, there's so much great stuff in this film.
2: I think one of my favorite scenes is there's this a moment where Millicent is arguing with John Krasinski, mm-hmm. and they're arguing in sign language. Obviously, she so deftly explains how frustrating it would be to be a teenage girl in this right, situation, right. where like it's heartbreaking that she's effectively in a situation where she's so frustrated and she's so angry, but she literally can't cry out in frustration. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. because it could get them all killed and it just i thought that they they managed to he manages to lace in such tender storytelling into what is a very terrifying movie (laughs) and it was really amazing to me that like i was getting these kind of like it's I like I, I super super love horror movies and I know I gave Steven Spielberg a hard time last week, but Jaws is one of my all time favorites, if not my all time favorite horror movie. And a huge part of that is because you get to know the Brody family. Like there's mm-hmm. that whole dinner scene where it's just Brody and his son like playing that mimicking game. And it's it's not dead air. It's important. It's it's grounding who these people are and why this story matters. And I thought Krasinski did a really beautiful job with this. And like, yeah, Emily Blunt's performance is is just phenomenal. Like I it's weird because you're already hearing people talking about how uh, this is already being people are spitting it to be like, well, it's not really a horror movie; it's more of a thriller. Ugh. And they're trying to reposition it so that it can be like more prestigious, and maybe it can like be the get out of the Hall of right. Awards season next year and stuff. And that talk all makes me nervous. Cause I'm like, let just people let people experience this movie right now. Mm-hmm. But also because I get frustrated that every time a horror movie is amazing, people want to call it something else. That's
1: there is that, and also horror movie fans are. I just hear a lot of people dismissing it because it's not rated R; it's a PG-13 horror movie. It's like. You know, people just just watch the movie. You know, yeah. experience the movie as it is. Don't try to label it. And uh, PG thirteen horror movies can be good. Come on.
2: Yeah, I had no yeah, idea I it was s- PG thirteen. It just scared the yeah. shit out of me.
0: I saw this uh, actually in Boston. I was there for PAX East, and uh, needed to see this for you know, to have it in time for mm-hmm. for our episode recording. And so I had to go to a random theater in Boston. It was a big. Uh, it was a big college audience, mm-hmm. and it was late at night. On a Friday, and I got a little worried. But man, <laughs> they did not make a peep. They did not make a peep in mm-hmm. this movie. And I think A Quiet Place asks the question, can you hold your breath for 90 minutes?
2: <laughs>
0: uh, because that's what it felt like I did. Honestly, my only criticism of this movie might – well, I has some in spoilers, but might be that – it. It, it, there is not anything that relieves the tension. It is mm-hmm. – you are on 11 from the word go and it is so intense and so claustrophobic. You know, you just feel this intense uh, pressure to not make any noise throughout the entire movie and it just feels so intense. It had to be a 90-minute right, movie because right. any longer, I don't think it would have – you would have been able. I would have been able to handle it, and I kind of wish there had been a little bit of a, a moment of respite. But there's very, very little. The, the movie is unrelenting
2: because there are jump scares in it. So there are moments that allow you to release that, and there's some kind of like false flag scares where mm-hmm. you think something's coming and then it's not. And so there are moments that like kind of release the valve a little bit. But I, th- I I agree with you that it is a claustrophobic film because it centers on this family and in this scenario where there's really nowhere to get away. Mm. I mean, this is a dystopian yeah. future. There's, there they can't just be like, well, let's leave our farm behind. Dude. Like it doesn't matter, <laughs> right?
0: Right. Um, no, I get it, but I, you know, it just it is such an intense experience yeah. that it's almost hard to recommend to people. You, you, you have to understand what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> I mean, it is intense, and uh, I, I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think that's to its credit. I don't think that's a criticism, but uh, it is. Um, it's quite an experience to see in theaters. I highly recommend it, but I do think it's the kind of thing where. Somebody's cell phone goes off or some idiot is, is talking, and it could really – this movie is fragile in that it way. It is. Yeah. It's
1: tough. My, my wife wanted popcorn before this movie, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I saw you
2: tweet about this, and yeah, I was nervous what you. What
1: is happening right now? Uh, there are moments yeah. in this movie where you can just, like, eat because, like, it's not completely quiet, but there are definitely sections where you just have to, like – you have to do the like the one kernel thing and just let it like dissolve in your mouth a little and like slowly chew it like a cow. That everybody so-
2: loves having popcorn that way. It's all a quiet
1: so place. Good. It'll change how you eat. <laughs> Yeah, you'll have to yeah absorb popcorn to watch the movie, basically.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Is there anything else you guys want to mention before we get to spoilers? I know there's a lot to talk about with specifics in this movie. Well, I mean,
2: because we pointed out that it's PG-13, I often get asked by parents that are like, my kid really likes horror movies, and they're always kind of trying to figure out what is okay to show a kid. I think this is actually a really good example of a movie that you could take, like, a like an older kid, like a teenager. <laughs> like, you never want like,
0: them to sleep again. Yeah.
2: Not like a five or six year old, but like if you have like a, you know, 12 to 13, 14 year mm-hmm. old who's into horror movies, so this is a pretty good one to take them to. It's not especially, especially gory. It is very scary. It's more about mood and atmosphere than it is like imagery that'll tear, like that traumatize them. But, so I, I think would say the,
1: the, the sound, sound design definitely that. leans on the very loud, like very loud surprise yeah. moments too. So there's a lot of that. So I think, you know, definitely kids who some kids just like start crying when they get startled so that sort of thing yeah i'm not, not saying crying.
2: like little yeah. kids to be clear i'm not like take your six Oh no I, i've met days.
1: like you know yeah 12 and 13 year olds who who could respond like that to some things you say so, yeah depends on your kid well but 10 year old yeah, me would have loved the hell out of this movie <laughs> i think
0: that kids uh are actually uh gonna be able to watch it uh, even more than parents mm-hmm. uh that you know they're well, <laughs> yeah. When we, we talked about, what was it, the Florida Project, and you guys accused me of pulling the parent card, and I feel like making me watch this was like. I feel like
2: we're going to get to spoiler content. You're making yeah, me nervous. Well,
0: I, we'll, get, we'll get Yeah, we'll get there. I just want to say, I feel like you know, making me watch this was like you guys getting payback on, on me pulling the parent card. So, with that, <laughs> we'll get into spoilers for A Quiet Place starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course...
2: You're not going to see this coming.
0: You're not really looking. I have been
2: puzzling over how it
0: works. You don't really want to work it out.
2: Who's in the box? I have been dying
0: to tell you. I want to tell you my secret You want to be fooled. All right, guys. Mm -hmm. In Dave's absence, I wanted to say that uh, I saw a movie this week that was about a family in isolation having to deal with a bunch of... Uh, crazy, slimy, disgusting creatures. And it turned out that the child's weakness was actually the strength that let them destroy the creatures and save the day. Uh, but enough about signs, everybody.
1: Bravo. Oh,
2: Bravo. I see. When I watch this, and I love A Quiet Place, but the ending, oh, yeah. the dynamite. <laughs> it made me think of Mars Attack.
1: Oh, man. Oh. I was also thinking of the village and yeah, a lot of Shyamalan stuff here yeah. like there it's a very like neat uh the you know reaction to that or a neat way to solve right. this problem and also something that kind of uh i don't know kind of it felt like a plot hole to me too because the girl noticed this earlier it's like i i, I guess i don't i don't even remember there's a point where she could communicate this to her dad or to anybody it was like hey i think this thing well, does a thing well to she, the doesn't, bad guys. she doesn't the notice head? it right oh, away right, because right.
2: she's having the headache right. so like her back is turned away from it but i yeah. understand your point i find guys- guys- yeah. what at what point
0: do does the world who's getting wiped out by creatures that can only hear you not attempt to attack them with sound? That's true. That's true. What? What? what
2: well, but it suggests <laughs> that this all happens so quickly. Like, because I mean, it's like, like, like yeah. when the it's movie starts, space. it's day like forty three. It's like it took. A yeah. little more than a month for the world to be I love that setup, by, by the way. But some scientist somewhere who's like, yeah. hey,
0: they can hear us really acutely. Maybe we just jam some music in their ear holes. Maybe, yeah, uh, maybe, maybe
1: their greatest strength is also their greatest weakness, guys. Uh, but uh, I love that setup for the movie. It's just like day 43, boom. Just
2: like, deal yeah. with it. Yeah. yeah. And what I – I want to circle back to talk about what I thought was so elegant about so much of the storytelling early on is that so much of it is wordless mm-hmm. and strictly visual. It's like the path of sand that they lie in, and them walking barefoot and, like, yeah. even them playing the – they're playing, like, Monopoly or whatever, but they're not even using the game pieces. They're using, like, little pieces of felt and stuff so that you don't even have the tapping. And they're using, like, kale leaves instead of plates and all this stuff that indicates we have to be quiet. Right. And I thought that that was all very elegantly done, which is why, like, that whiteboard drives me crazy. (laughs)
0: Because it wouldn't squeak?
2: Just, no, because it's such stupid, bad storytelling. It's like all of a sudden the movie remembers that it's a Platinum Dunes movie. It's like, oh, wait, Michael Bay was involved? We need to lay in something that's incredibly, like, that treats the audience like they're morons. Uh, Because, like, it literally says, like, what is weakness, (laughs) (laughs) question mark. Like, so much yeah. of this movie is so smart and so yeah, what, elegant <laughs> and the visual storytelling like
0: point Q's, does he like decide to write that on the whiteboard? He's right. like, oh god I hope I remember to look for their weakness mm-hmm. well, well, I better write that down. Exactly,
2: especially because it's a whiteboard that only is for him it's just, it's such a movie cliche that someone writes that on something, yeah. like when you're taking a note and you're just like, what is the weakness? Like, yeah. I better write my thesis Um, it's just, that part drives me crazy because so much else of this, like I remember watching the trailer and I was like, why are there fireworks in this movie? And like <laughs> In my head, when I, when I, we got there and I saw Michael Bay, like when I was walking in the theater and I saw Michael Bay doing the red carpet, I was like, this is a Michael Bay movie. And I got a little nervous because like, look, I love painting game, but he also makes a lot of things that I can't. (laughs) So, but like when I saw the explosions in the trailer, I was like, oh, Michael Bay, but, like, the, the firework thing is actually really well set up. Yeah. There's so many, like, set pieces in this that are so smartly set up. And then, like, the final thing is so sloppy. Mm-hmm. It's just heartbreaking because, like, I we I want us to talk about the bathtub sequence because I think that's very, very good. Very good, but and I well, feel like
1: the payoff to as, that was, was kind of weak. But uh, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. Speaking as uh, uh, a guy who's
0: literally going to have his second child any day uh-huh. now. uh She's due the 30th of April. I definitely – and I was away from my wife watching this in Boston while she was at home and with my one-and-a-half-year-old and and pregnant with my second child. This was not an easy movie (laughs) for me to get through. That sequence in particular – just a real quick side note. Yep. I know it's movie. It's movie magic, and it's it's movie making, and I understand how movies are. The time between when your water breaks and when the baby pops out is not minutes.
1: Baby born real fast
0: <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, that is hours and potentially days. It was very but, you clean know, to like the whole.
1: There, there is yeah. blood in the bathtub. It, you know, that's a messy uh, FG operation FG going FG on FG, there. Yeah.
0: And, yeah, I mean, it was effective in the film, and I won't. I, I understand we're in, a, right. we're in a movie, but. Uh, you know, your water back doesn't back break, to... and then you mm-hmm. have a baby like a minute and a half later. So <laughs> again, how it, it goes works.
2: back to this idea though, where we talked about Millicent Simmons, how her character wants to cry out but can't, and now it's like they take it to a new level oh, yeah. mm-hmm. where you have this woman who is who is terrified, who is giving birth yeah. on the her telltale own nail in a as well,
1: or the uh, the nail Chekhov's nail oh. just sitting there. Oh my God, Gosh. that nail! After we would already seen it go through in one
0: foot, and then the girl starts going down there, yeah. everybody in the whole theater gasped like we're gonna get a second foot nail.
2: <laughs> yeah, like that felt a little sloppy because it felt like almost like an afterthought right. because it's like they set it up like it's going to happen again and then it doesn't and you're just like what are we doing here so like the ending gets on my nerves a little bit but I thought like that the bathtub sequence was really amazingly done mm. I think the sequence and the silo is really smartly put together
0: the creature being able to rip through that silo like it's paper and then it has a problem with the car later for some reason like I, I don't know it, could, it a little inconsistent. yeah I, for,
1: I forget why it couldn't rip through I mean the silo thing would be a little weaker than the car, I don't know. It? Yeah, I, don't know. I I like the bathtub sequence, but it felt surprisingly abrupt in a way. Like it felt like it built up to a lot, and then you know we get to a point where all of a sudden John Krasinski runs in and saves her because she's in the sour stall. And I I, yeah. I think that whole sequence between how how does she get out of there? How how the baby get born? Like what what? Come on, give yeah. me more.
0: Are we are we That's talking it. a teeth on umbilical cord here? Yeah, what's going on? Come on, the idea of that. Uh, of a woman having to be silent mm-hmm. giving birth. The idea of that is worth all of the leaps of uh, credulity I needed to go through, you know, along the way, because it is just a horrific mm-hmm. idea to to have someone have to do that thing. And not make any noise. It's just an unbelievable thing. Also, very fortunate that they seem to have the most well-behaved baby of all time. <laughs> and also
2: put it like in like a little soundproof baby. In a coffin. Coffin. cool.
0: Yeah. So yeah. that was so clever. Like the the thing that I love most about this movie is that it, throughout it is smart people being smart. Mm-hmm. It is it is planning. It is uh, wonderful execution of everything in it. And it, all of that stuff is revealed. You know, you see the little uh, oxygen mask thing mm-hmm. earlier and you're, you don't really register what it what it is. And then you see that baby get put in there and it's like, oh, my God, what a true horror yeah. Yeah. to have to put your newborn in a
1: box. Yeah. Ugh, I think I just, the, the so... visual storytelling there, too, right? It's like the the hope for new life is has right. to be in a coffin, literally. Yeah. And uh, uh. that's really smart. And I think the movie does a lot of that, too. Uh, there's a point early on in the movie where, like, um, yeah, I think it's, like, the argument about, you know, does the – can the girl go with, uh, you know, the father or not? And they're having that argument, and they all just, like, walk off in separate directions, and Emily Blunt's just kind of stuck there in the middle. That's the sort of thing where I was surprised, like, oh, he's actually – you know, a decent visual storyteller as well. And we see that throughout Mm -hmm. a lot of the sequences in this film too. Like so much of it is just like great editing, great camera work, and just like really, really strategic thought about how they executed some of these sequences, especially, you know, the final sequence. Like, I I think it's a little contrived that they, you know, had this solution to kill the monsters, but as a as a set piece, it was really well done, and then it all leads up to that fucking amazing final shot.
2: That's outstanding. Yeah. it's just that like the whiteboard, just the way they communicate that information feels right, right. like such a light down after there have been all these really smart visual cues about how things work. And then to just be like, hey, that whiteboard over there, I'm like, that's all. Come on, like,
1: man. I was half expecting like the basement wall, like just covered like shining style in maddening like news clip, like something like it's. Right. It seemed too orderly for the madness that was surrounding them. Um, right. And there are a couple things, too. Like, there are a couple things we could point out. Uh, the opening sequence with the uh, the younger child, the thing I thought of immediately, having seen so many post-apocalyptic movies, is you don't, you don't leave the batteries. What are you talking about? You got no power. Uh, you, you you take all the batteries. You, yeah. you hoard them all. Right. Come on.
2: Also, if he had taken the batteries, we wouldn't have had that situation. Yeah. I, I, yep. It's funny because I've seen some of the criticism in this movie are like, they're bad parrots. And I'm like... Cool i that it's not really interesting to me as a way of evaluating the film, yeah, that's, that's um, really, it's really' relevant in the I felt theater. like it was also talking about like especially the the thing in the beginning where they're like well if you know these things are going on da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. like i actually really like the scene where they cut to emily blunt and she's talking about that day and yeah. she's like i could have carried him right. and i thought like whenever if you ever watch like true crime stories where they talk about like a child abduction like the parents are horrified because they looked away for like a minute or something and it's like i felt like it was speaking to that mm-hmm. it was speaking to a certain comfort you establish within a routine that you think things are fine and like there's just some stuff you can't anticipate. Like they didn't anticipate that their kids stole that toy and also the batteries. And like, man, that, that sequence is just like, you could have heard a pin drop in that. The Paramount theater is like a big theater in Austin. And like when that thing went like that, that toy goes off. And like, I think it's like they immediately cut to John Krasinski's expression of horror, realizing what's going on. And then he just starts barreling toward that kid. And like, The audience is just dead silent. We were talking before about, like, I love when you get to have a communal experience with an audience, and often I have them with horror movie audiences because it is something that interacts with us on such a carnal level. To be in a whole theater where everybody is holding their breath is just, it's magic. the fact that they
0: went there with with that, they, they went there with killing off that kid. Buckle in, because we're pulling no punches here. My other biggest criticism with, again, Hollywood movie, we're in a movie, I get it. <laughs> Gotta have the moment where Dad sacrifices uh, himself to save everybody.
2: But, oh, yeah I thought it was beautifully but, done, though. But, yeah. but,
0: but, okay. There's no universe in which, if I'm going to sacrifice myself, I'm not going down swinging. Right,
1: yeah. He just drops right? the
0: weapon. Why? Why do you drop the weapon? There's no guarantee that after you're dead, your kids get away. Like, I understand they have that very smartly made uh, truck escape mm-hmm. plan, but still... You go down swinging. There's no downside to continuing to attack it as it's killing you.
1: Yeah, that, that honestly, that whole sequence felt like another Michael Bay thing. By the way, like this is uh, this is from the guy who gave us Armageddon. This is the father, yeah. just like yeah, going out, save the world yeah. for his baby. Yeah, and it's uh, you know I I think it works within the story, but also I I think you saw that. Coming from a mile away, too. Like I was yeah. hoping for something it's a little more. The most more irresponsible surprising. thing he could do. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, well, you know, he's not going to beat. You. I think within the logic of the movie, like you know, have the monster get get him so they can escape. Like that makes sense. I just wish, I wish it was a little more creative because we kind of were expecting that, and this is like you know Krasinski's hero moment again. Like I couldn't, I could not stop seeing how much of a hero he was throughout this movie, and I don't know, maybe. I feel like to really buy this thing, I almost wonder if, like, he should have cast somebody else. I thought he was getting the role, but I would have bought the movie more maybe if it didn't feel like John Krasinski and Emily Blunt's, like, you know, prestige film in a way or prestige horror movie. Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: Huh. I don't know. I didn't have a problem buying him because it's not like an over-the-top hero. It's basically like a dad who's like confident about these things, and it sounds silly, but like I was like Krasinski with a beard. I buy this. That's fine. (laughs) Like I don't know, and maybe it's maybe it's because I had seen Thirteen Hours, so I had seen stalwart side to him than we typically are used to from like The Office or Mm -hmm. other things. I know he's done other things. Some other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of beautiful in this movie. Uh, the, the moment where he takes his son behind the the waterfall I just thought was lovely. That, that by the way, um, is a
1: nice quiet moment, Jeff. You were asking. Like, I think that's it is, one but, area. But it's intercut. Yeah. It's intercut with uh, nail establishment
0: <laughs> and all I mean, there's never a time in this movie where you're not, like, holding your breath for some right, reason. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, I think overall all of us uh, really love the movie and and think it's a, a pretty impressive – terrifying yeah. experience most
1: oh, definitely what uh, what sitcom star do you guys think will make the next great horror movie that's such a
2: good question <laughs> that's a
1: great question mm. I'm hoping it's Amy Poehler
2: fingers crossed for Rachel Bloom
1: oh yes give me a Rachel Bloom <laughs> horror movie <laughs>
2: <laughs> but um, yeah man and I'll tell you guys coming up we've got some really amazing movies coming from South by Southwest that are like really beautifully scary because like The Quiet Place scared the hell out of mm. me and then a couple of days later I saw Hereditary and we'll circle oh. back
1: oh can't wait but guys yeah
2: you think you I... think a quiet place is upsetting is suspenseful
0: i don't know hang on to your damn hats i'm <laughs> not, not sure i can handle that
2: <laughs> nope you won't be able to it's too much. <laughs> but also i will be horrified the whole time
0: <laughs> uh well that's that's it unless you guys have anything else you want to add
1: i think the score of this film uh it didn't actually have time to look up the composer but uh, well done oh this is marco beltrami who i love like, he he works with, uh, what's his, the Logan director. They've done a couple of films together, and Marco Beltrami, he has a great, like, Western style to all his mm-hmm. music, and I think that really shined through here, too. So, uh, nice to see that everybody's just on point for this thing.
2: See it in theaters. Yeah. Like, pick a theater that you think you can be smart with the audience or whatever. Don't go to a place that's known for kind of having people that are going to talk <laughs> the whole time, or, God forbid, I saw somebody saying that someone was FaceTiming during the movie. oh uh, boy but uh yeah give it a chance because this is this is a really wonderful film to see in a theater with an audience that is just into it
0: i agree it's a bit of a gamble but it's worth it it's worth it if it pays off for you all right so stick around for the movie that we will be reviewing next week or maybe it's something other than a movie next week but uh, you'll have to stick around for that but in the meantime christy puchko tell people where they can follow your work on the internet
2: I write every day at pajiba.com. But if you follow me on Twitter at Christy Puchko, K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O, you'll be able to keep up with everything I've got coming. i am still got stuff coming out of South by Southwest. We did so much stuff there, so it's been fun. (laughs) And uh, you can catch my career highlights at decadentcriminals.com.
1: Devidra Hardwar, how about you? Oh, I'm at Devidra on Twitter, and I write about techandgadget.com. And, uh, you yeah, know, I'll be doing some stuff around the Tribeca Film Festival uh, later. Uh, it's mostly next week, I guess, and the week after. But keep an eye out for that stuff.
0: Very, very cool. And I'm at Jeff Canada on Twitter, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Uh, I do video game content as well. If you want to hear me talk about video games, I do a show called DLC, which you can find at 5by5.tv slash DLC. Uh, I also do a comedy science show. Uh, which is uh, a lot of fun. I would recommend you giving it a chance. It's only 20-minute episodes. guarantee you'll learn something and have a laugh. And we did live episodes in Boston at PAX East. They were a lot of fun. So check it out over at wehaveconcerns.com. All right, guys, uh, that's it for this episode of the Slash Filmcast. Next week will be uh, earlier than ever before. Our summer movie wager, uh, Disney slash Marvel has decided that summer starts in April this year. <laughs> so uh, we are taking our cue from that, and we will be doing our annual summer movie wager. Is it the 11th annual this year, I think? Oh, man. 11th or 12th annual summer movie wager. Devendra was the big winner last year. Hear how we rank movies. That will be next week on the Slash Filmcast. I hope you join us then. Uh, Dave will be back, and we will talk to you then. Until then.
1: We watch the movies, side, tracks, but the good side
0: bad, it's the slash broadcast for the news and the movies coming out, cause you know that it's the thing we're talking about.